This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to Over and Back's Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s. Today's mystery is, how did Dr. J become an ABA legend? Hello, welcome to Over and Back. This is Jason. You're about to listen to the second part of my conversation with Rainus Lattis of the Handle Podcast and the Marmatic YouTube account. You definitely listened to our first part where we discussed Julius Irving's early days in the ABA and Rucker Park and how he was nicknamed the Doctor. I also have a third Dr. J episode coming with Curtis Harris of Pro Hoops History, where we get into his Philly years of the late 70s and early 80s. So now we are joined in progress as Julius Irving has been traded from the Virginia Squires to the New York Nets and is taking a major step toward becoming a basketball legend. The 74 season, they are... Um, uh, Irving has there's only four seasons in um, NBA ABA history where a player has uh, t- 25 plus points per game 10 plus rebounds per game five plus assists p- p- per game and two uh, plus steals per game uh, Irving has three of them including uh, this one and the other was George <laughs> McGinnis in uh, 75 so um, uh, so obviously that, that, that very special um uh, you know, accomplishment from him. It kind of shows what just kind of the, the tremendous all-around player that he uh, really was during that time. I mean, it, you know, the, the guy that I think of when I compare, and, and they were certainly different style and different body types, but they did have some of the uh, same types of skills as LeBron James as far as just being a, a complete guy who was, you know, a both a superstar scorer and had the ability to, you know, fill up the stat sheet and do everything and be a great rebounder and be a great defender. Yeah, and as as there is with LeBron, uh, it, it was the same for Julius. That you always tend to question his shooting a bit. It's both have proven uh, themselves in, in big moments, and actually, I, I think are uh, better shooters than we give them credit for. But you always have the sense that uh, there might be a big game where uh, either Irving uh, did back then, or when LeBron could right now he they could struggle with uh, shots from outside so yeah very similar in, in their overall skill set and weaknesses so the 74 nets have a 4.80 srs 55 and 29 um and uh irving connects to the new nets coach 
Kevin Lockery's frankness and his ability to adjust. Lockery had just come from the he actually played early on in the NBA um, for the infamous uh, 73ers who only won nine games. He ended up as their coach for the about the latter third of the season. He did not have a good record, but it was still better than the uh, than Roy Rubin's record uh, beforehand. So, um, and you would not necessarily think that having one, you know. Uh, having a, ro- a coach with a terrible record was a good idea but ended up being great um uh they really got along in lockery uh doc really um thought that he was you very good at adjusting to you know he had a game plan but was a very able to um adjust to what was going on in the game had a great feel for the game um he didn't really like coaches he sort of stuck with one game plan and weren't willing to make adjustments based on you know whether something was and wasn't working and felt that Lockery was excellent at uh, you know seeing things right away and adjusting to them. Um, Rod Thorne was um, Lockery's assistant and it felt like the team had a very good chemistry and a very good loose feeling. Yeah, and uh, I suppose it's, it speaks to Julius himself, who, uh, as you said, uh, t- towards the beginning of the show, who who wanted to incorporate the, the things he could do on the playground uh, in uh, real basketball, but also play within a team structure. So someone like Lockery could really might have been the, the perfect coach for him. And um, some of the uh, key, other key players of the on the team, um, Billy Paltz, who was a three-time All-Star uh, center known as the Whopper, and uh, <laughs> I love that nickname. Yes, and uh, Bill Melchioni, who was a a very good veteran point guard, a three-time All-Star. It had helped the both of these guys had helped the Nets to the '72 Finals. So as we mentioned, it had you know just just been a good team just before they were down after losing Bear in the '73 season, uh, and Brian Taylor, who um, Irving said might be the fastest guard he ever played with, uh, was also had very quick hands, uh, an excellent passer, described as a uh, a poor man's Walt Frazier, I believe in loose balls. So. Um, and then two rookies who were important to the team, a Super John Williamson, who was a big physical guard um, and was known for stiff arming anyone who tried to uh, guard him, also known as being free spirited and fun, uh, was a cooking and kung fu enthusiast. And um, Larry Keenan, who was uh, who, who was a, a another talented guard, but also was very country and um, he uh, Irving shares sort of an amazing story of, of having a tough time trying to find him a nickname where uh, at first they were calling him Dr. K and he didn't like that because he felt like he was in Julius's shadow and um, he wanted he wanted Mr. K but nobody really liked that or Special K. Eventually they settled on Cat, so um, K-A-T sort of is similar to, of course, Carl Anthony Towns' nickname now. Uh, and then um, John Williamson referred to himself as a Super John and they, they, they would sort of give him um, a... Uh, yeah, give him a little bit of hassle for that. You know, say like, who exactly is calling me Super John? It's like, and he's like, everybody's calling me Super John, and, and you know, guys would be like, I never heard that, and they kind of gave an example. Those are examples of sort of the you know loose free chemistry that the guys had, and they were you know um, played cards together. Even Lockery would you know, having just been a player, would you know would would play cards with the team, and they had a you know great camaraderie, and of course you know um, played very well together. Were were good. Um, they complement each other very well and you know we're all you know pretty good at, at filling their roles um uh you know around Irving understanding that of course Irving was the most important player on the team and, and everyone kind of you know fell in line for the most part what I find impressive was uh, how young this team was and it probably helped create that that friendly environment because 
if you take away Melchione, who who played in uh, six games during the playoffs, uh, they didn't have a rotation player older than 25. Uh, as you mentioned, Keenan and Williamson both were rookies and were 21 and 22 respectively. Julius was only 23. Billy Paltz was was the eldest of, of these guys. He was 25. Taylor and Gale are 22 and 23. They they didn't have a they didn't really have a notable player who was a solid veteran. I, I suppose that Paltz had some seasons under his belt, but other than that, it it basically was like uh, OKC if if they had won in 2012. And as for Keenan's nicknames, we really have an abundance of special case in in that period of time because. Off the top of my head, uh, Greg Kelser and Clark Kellogg were, were also a special case. I, I think I'm missing someone else. But yeah, no, no definite special case and, and too many special case who, who apparently didn't want to be called a special case. Um, yeah, I think Cad is a better nickname. So I think he, he was smart to go with that one. Yeah, and he, he was, I, I think you could describe him as being Cat Quit. Keenan was someone who could. Uh, really leap for some exciting dunks yeah absolutely um so they early they did struggle a bit early on they lost nine straight they um had a team meeting and they basically decide that they're very much a both a fast break team and a pressing team and they decide that they're wearing out from all the running um that you know irving he, he can do that in certain circumstances but he can't do that all the time you know every game and wearing them out so they changed their style some they, they switched their starting lineup i know super john's brought in and um and Melchioni, who was you know the the veteran of the team and had you know been an all aba player was 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 subbed out and they it, it works they they win 19 of 22 the one worry that um irving had about the team was that they had a lack of toughness so um john roach ends up being traded to kentucky for mike gale and wendell ladner gale a good um defensive guard and ladner of course one of the great all-time characters in um aba history uh, famous for fights and famous for diving for loose fall loose balls and also for chasing women um <laughs> he and uh, doc develop a close friendship and the and uh uh, you know they they live near each other, and um, even though they're very much opposites, uh, Ladner is from um, is from Mississippi, very much country boy. Uh, he and Doc, you know, they, uh, they they hang out a lot and end up having a good friendship. And um, Ladner brings some defensive intensity and toughness, and um, and just you know, kind of uh, physical frightening and physical uh, intimidation to the uh, team, and that helps them. Um, that helps them thrive even more. They they finish eleven and one to uh, to, to finish the season, and you know are, are uh, doing very well heading into the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, I just love how every uh, ABA tough guy was seemingly this six three six four guy who weighed about two ten or two twenty, and uh, like Wendell Ladner or John Brisker or or the, the other guys, and they would just seemingly don't, they seemingly didn't care, and they would. Uh, tough it up with everyone and they would randomly charge against guys uh, yeah ladner was a guy known for starting fights before games would have you know just um you know getting into um you know fights in you know during pregame or um just uh, you know he, he he was a bit um crazy and was um he was also traded three times in uh, one season, which uh he definitely bounced around a bit in the um aba uh i think known Two for two things. Primarily, first of all, for you know, being part of these Nets teams, uh, well, uh, this Nets team in particular, and then also, of course, the um, 
famous uh, posing the the Burt Reynolds pose in the Kentucky Colonel's um, <laughs> poster that he is uh, known for as well. So, and uh, possibly he might he might be the the worst shooter ever who was who was actually a, a player who who supposedly contributed to the team because uh, when you look at his stats and some uh, in in a way it is affected by his love for the three pointer, but he was a terrible shooter who whose percentage would fluctuate around. 32, 44%. And it's, it's, in a way, it's amazing that he actually could contribute to a championship team with, with the way he would, uh, take, take wild shots. Yes, sort of, sort of the Josh Smith of his time, uh, perhaps <laughs> yeah. in that respect. But, uh, so the, uh, the Nets end up, uh, beating the Squires four games to one in the division series. Um, the Squires, of course, have George Carter, Jim Eakins, and Cincy Powell also added to the team. Uh, this one got about a bit heated. Uh, Fatty Taylor was ejected at the um, in one of the games for hitting a Super John with two forearm shots through the back of the head. Uh, Taylor said that Super John had elbowed him first, and also uh, Bianchi was ejected from that game. Uh, it was a fairly easy win for the, the Nets. Um, Irving missed a game winner in Game 3. That was the only game that the uh, Squires won. It was the last playoff series, in fact, for the Squires, as they would, um, uh, you know, they, they weren't a very good team, particularly a good team. They were, um, uh, they, they didn't have a good record this season, and those records would only uh, get worse. They're 28-56, so the fact that they made the playoffs in the season, even though they had that record, uh, in, indicates the uh, growing disparity between the, um, uh, you know the the top and the bottom teams in the ABA. Um, Irving in the final game he had twenty one points, six rebounds, and five assists. Um, and uh, and then they they won uh, the final game one hundred eight to ninety six. Uh, they swept the Colonels, who were a fifty five win team in the East Finals. A, a much bigger surprise. Um, at the um, uh, famously um, in Game Three of the series, which was in Kentucky, uh, Irving had a, a fadeaway jumper from the free throw line over several defenders with just one second left to um, bank the shot in, and then gave the Nets an eighty nine to eighty seven uh, victory, three uh, zero lead. They would have win Game Four. And um, Adolph Rupp, the Kentucky coach we mentioned earlier, um, he had uh, he he said that Jerry West he up until now he thought that Jerry West was the greatest basketball player I uh, ever saw with Oscar Robertson right behind him, but now he says that Julius Irving is the best. So of course, high praise from um, uh, from from Rupp. Um, and then in they make the ABA finals and they uh, they beat the Utah Stars who had won the championship in '71. Still had a lot of that team together: um, Willie Wise, uh, Ron Boom, uh, Zemo Beatty, who was getting older at this point and had been hurt, and also uh, had a shooter Jimmy Jones uh, in this time. Boone and Jones were one of the best backcourts in um, either league, and you know the the Stars were 51 win team, so they were. Um, you know they they had upset the um the Pacers during the playoffs but they certainly were a um were a very good team aging a bit but still a, a stout team but the Nets were able to beat them four games to one in the series yeah and uh, I almost have to feel bad when, when I think about about these particular series I'm almost almost have to feel bad about their opponents because because the Squires would lose in in, in their last year to to a guy they just had and during a season uh uh, in which they lost George Gervin and Smenader as well due to money problems. So they basically didn't have a chance to to prove that they could compete. And uh, the Kentucky Colonels must have felt miserable at the time because they they're the team that kept kept uh, losing in these important moments. And they would obviously win it all finally the next year. But to lose uh, to lose in a sweep against against uh, Julius and uh, 
for him to make that incredible shot, I I I, under, I understand how Babe McCarty was feeling because because there there's this quote that he was just uh, sitting on a bench holding his head and uh, was wondering what did I what did I do wrong? How can you beat that? Yeah, and he lost his job unfortunately in his only season <laughs> yeah. coaching the uh, Colonels. And uh, another thing that um, the of course the the trade the um, the Mike Gale and Wendell Ladner for John Roach trade between the Nets and the Colonels uh, that really did improve the Nets to you know a point where they you know it wasn't necessarily the the, the one big difference in the series, but it, uh, it definitely I think benefited the Nets and um, you know the fact that they swept them in this series um, that may have added a uh, you know an, an extra um, you know bit of contention between the two teams an extra little bit uh you know made it even a little more sour for the colonels yeah and uh all in all it, it might be the uh, the second most uh, uh the second most devastating playoff run in the aba history i think uh was it you their star some someone uh swept through the playoffs with two losses as well but yeah all in all a very spectacular season for the nets yeah, yeah, and then they, um, yeah, Irving in game one, he scored 47 points. Keenan had 18 points and 20 rebounds. Um, actually, Jimmy Jones did, he shot well. He made six shots in a row late in the game, but then the Nets, uh, Irving switched on him defensively and was able to shut him down for the game one victory. Uh, game two uh, was known for, uh, best known for a fight. Uh, about a minute into the game, uh, Ron Boone uh, decked Brian Taylor, and then they, he got up off the ground and punched him in the face. Um, and apparently neither was ejected or even received a technical foul. And uh, which uh, is, As it happens, yeah. Yes. So um, the uh, the Nets uh, won big this game, 118-94, uh, and Irving had 32 points, 9 rebounds. And then uh, game three, Zemo Beatty, he missed the first two games. He he played well with 22 points and 16 rebounds. Um, and Utah actually had a 15-point fourth quarter lead, but the Nets came back and forced overtime on a buzzer-beating three-pointer from, um, from Taylor. And uh, Irving, he had 24 points, 13 rebounds, seven assists. He also had six turnovers and did not shoot well from the field or from the free throw line. Um, the uh, However, the Nets were able to uh, pull it out Um with a win, uh, but but a, a competitive game between uh, both teams with a lot of uh, a lot of good stat lines. Uh, game four, the Stars were able to win. Uh, Jimmy Jones had 24 points, and Boone had 22 points and 10 rebounds. Uh, Irving had a little bit of a down game for him: 18 points, nine rebounds, seven assists. Still, you know, uh, not not a great scoring effort, but certainly, you know, um, that's a pretty well-rounded box score there. And uh, the uh, the traveling secretary, the trainer for the Annette, um said that we thought we were going to win it all in Utah, so I had to buy all the champagne. But then when they lost the game, he said he had to pack it all up and bring it back to Nassau Coliseum. And it did. It was able to be opened after uh, Game Five. The um, Nets won one eleven to one hundred. Um, and uh, Keenan had 23 points and 11 rebounds. Irving had 20 points and 16 rebounds. And he said that he felt that his individual performance in Game 5 wasn't complete, but what we won, and that's what's important. Uh, he said he has lots of room for improvement. The main thing I want to do is maintain consistency. That's what I'm striving for. I don't think I'll ever run any faster, jump any higher, or shoot any better. I don't think my defense needs much improvement. I think I can block shots as well as anyone in the league, but it's maintaining consistency under pressure that is most important to me. So even you know in the time of the greatest glory of his career at that point, uh, we're still talking about the things that he could improve on. Yeah, that's that's what uh, really struck struck me about Julius as, as being something interesting. Uh, when you look back at, at the interviews he gave during that time, he was quite well spoken and uh, knew knew what he had to do and knew what he ob- obviously had to say to, to sound like a 
uh, a thoughtful man and uh, obviously he seemed like someone who was thoughtful and you you had the sense that he he really was the the uh the su- the best superstar he can be in a sense that uh, he knew he knew how to talk with the media and and he he knew what uh, what he had to say yeah and lockery and obviously he had to do because <laughs> I, I i can't act like he didn't uh execute on those things later on absolutely yeah and, and Lockery talked about how he was very good at like building up his teammates and genuinely you know saying nice things to about you know praising them in the media but also in ways that you know that he meant and were you know not not just for show not not like a you know praising him in a fake way but actually you're know, doing it in a genuine way and, and, and you know showing that he cared about his teammates that that was you know it, that and his work ethic were you know stood out for as far as being a superstar in addition to as you mentioned earlier just you know um accepting being yelled at so that the other players had to accept it as well and uh also rod fern was uh, recently on on Waj's podcast and i think he told the same story in the book as well he you you really have to love the stories of of him uh, uh, improving on on t- confidence of teammates uh, like like the story Foreign likes to tell about about Keenan being down and having a, a bad string of games and and Julius just uh, know, knowing that he has to make the extra pass for Keenan to have a great game and that later on that uh, Larry Keenan would uh, score in the twenties and be happy in the game uh, after the game in the locker room so yeah he he really knew knew how to use these situations to improve chemistry and improve improve the morale of uh, certain teammates and uh, Irving in his book he talked about how uh, you know after the series he you know he, he he put his head down and reflected remembered his brother who had um who had died when he was in college and also you know the coaches and mentors in his past his his late father as well who he didn't know very well um and he didn't he said he didn't cry but that he you know was just it took a solemn moment to remember um those things and then you know exalted in victory and even though his coach uh his high school coach had told him you know never to brag never to you know to always stay humble he said that he, you know, he allowed himself a, a bit of uh you know bragging during this uh, time to you know to to praise his team and his performance um and he was he, had, he averaged 28.2 points per game 11.4 rebounds five assists uh, 1.8 steals 1.4 rebounds earning the uh playoff mvp award so uh a, a, a great stat line as we're getting used to throughout his early part of his career and this is about a time in which his celebrity is really starting to increase. He manages a number of big endorsements, you know, shoes, uh, Dr. Pepper, uh, other things, despite the ABA's lack of profile. And, you know, really, in one, in some respects, the ABA, if it had been able to start, let, let's say, around this time, you know, 74, 75, and had, you know, lasted around the same amount of time into the early 80s, you would think that perhaps with you know the cable landscape you know starting to spread in the early 80s that actually the ABA might have had a different outcome in, in terms of having success because you know the the NBA didn't really establish a foothold until the mid 80s so the ABA may have been able to especially now of course Irving's timeline is different you know he would not have been able to um, you know he would have certainly joined the the NBA earlier and wouldn't have been able to be the transcendent star that um, you know in a mythical you know ten years later ABA, but um, 
but if if it had just been able to happen a few years later, I do think that outcome would have been different because there would finally would have been a you know there there would have, there was really no place for the ABA to, if you know if a national television contract wasn't going to be able to happen, there was no second place that he could have gone. But by the time you know the eighties rolled around, there would have been cable, and certainly now you know if if something like the ABA existed, you know, with all the different social media profiles and, you know, all the different channels that there are, Irving would be a national star that everyone would know, even if he didn't necessarily have the NBA platform to be on just because, you know, it would have been found out somehow. But, um, uh, but it, it is interesting to just think it just a, a few more years later would definitely have made a difference in this case. Yeah. It's, it's also something I, I honestly enough, I have wondered about, uh, while, while I did the preparation for, for these, uh, for this podcast because really if you if you take the aba and uh, put them uh, 10 years in the future i, I think that might have been the, the perfect time for them to start their venture uh, between if if it had occurred between the 77 and the 86 they they might have even uh, got past the nba and of course it depends on the types of players they would have got and if if we imagine a, a scenario where they snag one of bird or magic or God forbid if they had taken Michael Jordan, I, I think they really might have gone past the NBA because uh, as it's as it's told in, in various ways in the book, they, they knew more about, or at least they tried more when it came to marketing and when it came to socializing with fans. So someone like Dr. J would have really thrived in the early 80s with the advent of ESPN and cable TV. Yes. And he talks at this point, he and his wife and kids moved to uh, Gatsby country in, you know, upper crust neighborhoods in um, in Long Island, living among the rich. They refer to themselves as the Black Kennedys. He's also developing friendships with um, people like uh, Bill Cosby, Arthur Ashe, Teddy Pendergrass, Miles Davis. So he's starting to live among the rich and sort of taste that life while he's still sort of trying to maintain, you know, his Humility, and later on, he talks about how um, you know one challenge in his life is um, you know he grew up with very little, and his kids grew up with a lot of a lot of money, and to try to you know give his kids things without um, you know um, giving them a sense of you know that they need to earn things and all that sort of thing. But it, it's interesting how during this time, you know, he even though it doesn't really benefit the league or the team that much, and it's not really drawing that well in New York. He is, um, you know, this, his own celebrity is increasing and it's getting to a point where, you know, he's the, um, you know, the NBA has to pay attention to how, you know, he, how much he matters now to basketball because of, uh, of these things. And Lockery was surprised that even with Irving being a hometown star and being so transcendent that the Nets were unable to make any kind of dent in attendance or media. And uh, Jim O'Brien, the writer uh, in the 70s who wrote a lot about the ABA, you know, talked about how um, I believe he worked for the New York Post and talked about how you know, everyone else about at the Post was sort of dismissive about, yeah, it's just it's just the ABA. It's not we, the Knicks had such a foothold in the um, in that town that the Nets got very little coverage, despite the you know the Nets clearly being you know even having won an exhibition game that season and, and you know being a you know, a more dynamic team at that point, but for, for you know, with just the inability to be able to kind of you know penetrate that wall was uh, you know frustrating kind of for everybody. Yeah, and obviously I'm I'm not from New York, but it, it sort of uh, reminds me of, of the same happening to New Jersey, and then uh, we'll see how how this Brooklyn Nets thing goes. But for for some reason or another, then the Knicks just uh, have the central place in New York in regards to professional basketball, and no matter what's what's the type of success, and, and on the other 
other professional team in the city, they just can't seem to get past the fact that the, that the Knicks are the number one team in, in New York. Yeah. So moving on to the 75 season, they're actually a stronger regular season team. There are 58 wins and a 6.58 SRS. Uh, Dave DeBuscher comes in as the uh, general manager uh, for, from the Knicks after he retired. And um, the Colonels or the Nets were four games ahead of the Colonels with seven games left to play, but they end up um, catching them with identical regular season record. And then the Colonels win a one game playoff in Kentucky to beat the Nets. Um Irving talks about how his knee and groin injuries sort of start to affect him uh, during this time and slow him down a little bit. Also, later on, um, Lockery would say, you know, we we relied a little bit too much on him and, you know, he burned him out during the stretch. Um, He has a game during the season where in four overtimes, he scores 63 points, uh, which I believe is his career high in the uh, and and maybe the ABA's um, high, but certainly true. Yeah, I I do believe it's the ABA high as well. Yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, one of the one of the transcendent performances against the uh, San Diego Conquistadors. Um, But they lose in the playoffs in one of the well, probably honestly the greatest uh, upset in um, professional basketball playoff history. The Spirits of St. Louis, uh, 32 wins and negative 4.02 SRS beat the Nets. Um, in, in, the Spirits famously, Marvin Barnes, Maurice Lucas, and Gus Gerard, who are, who are all rookies, also with the uh, with Freddie Lewis, who was the um, Pacers' great point guard who led them to a lot of finals appearances. The Spirits end up with a tremendous upset on um, great play from Marvin Barnes, tough defense from uh, Don Adams, who's a journeyman forward brought in. Uh, after it had been waived by the Pistons, made a tough physical defense on Irving and um, really just a inexplicable um, upset, you know, other than just the um, the spirits finally sort of their youth coming together and having a steady hand from uh, Freddie Lewis. There isn't really an inexplicable reason for the way the series went out, but the, um, the spirits were able to uh, win it in five games. Uh, the Nets actually won Game One, and the the Spirits won the rest of the games reasonably handily. Game Five was a a, a tight win. Uh, Lewis actually hit a twenty foot game winner at the buzzer to uh, win the to win Game Five. But other than that, there wasn't really a you know what it it doesn't. There was nothing about the series that particularly felt like a fluke, even though it's you know one of the ultimate shocks in uh, in basketball history. Yeah, when I think of that season and that that particular playoff series, I, I think I think of of Marvin Barnes showing his real potential, the the fact that he could outplay Irving, uh, reportedly he, he he was just better on the court, uh, even if uh, Irving was slowed down by injuries, it it just says that uh, he had real talent, and uh, it shows how sudden his downfall was because he he went from outplaying the probably the best player in the ABA in the series and uh, building his team to a series victory. To to being a, a nobody like three four years after in the NBA, so I I think it, it's all about Marvin here. Yeah, for sure. He was yeah as we've talked about in other episodes. It's just yeah probably the uh, the ultimate case of having just tremendous potential and and, and wasting it through you know all, all of the excesses of the seventies. Uh, whether it's you know the idea of you know players getting too money a lot of money very early on in their a career or drug issues or you know what whatever kind of 70s excess you can think of marvin barnes pretty much typified it <laughs> yeah and that's not to downplay freddie lewis or, or steve snapper jones they 
they obviously had a lot to do with it because the team had talent of, of that a 50 win team should have and they underperformed just because of the personalities and their youth so the veterans uh, held the team together and allowed them to play up to their potential for uh, for one series and I, I also remember there was this one center who came in later in the season I'm blanking on his name who who decked one of the one of the ABA top guys and earned respect on the team so yeah that was Don Adams yes oh yeah Don Adams so yeah the veterans had a lot had a lot to do with it but at the end of the day uh, Marvin was the one who who was the best player in the team and who had to go out and play up to his potential and uh, yeah for a period there he did as did, as did the spirits and ultimately Freddie Lu- Freddie Lewis's injury was was the was the one that kept them from possibly making it even further to the finals. Right. Um, so the and this is by the way this is the second time in which the um, the Nets losing in this playoff series prevented a opportunity for the uh, the Julius Irving George McGinnis finals that we you know we had discussed as a theoretical possibility before the the, the second opportunity for the um, you know Irving to play the Pacers of the this that version of the Pacers was, you know, without most, a lot of their legendary players had moved on, but, um, but still would the McGinnis, um, Irving series obviously would have been tantalizing. Um, so 76 season, the Nets are 55 and 29. They have, they're down quite a bit in SRS 2.56. Um, now they're, of course, Irving is there. Super John is still there. Brian Taylor is there uh, still. Melchione's in his final season and they, and, uh, they've added, um, Al Skinner, and Tim Bassett, and then uh, two uh, trades between the Nets and the Spurs in the offseason in 75 are very important. Um, they trade Larry Keenan and Mike Gale for uh, for Swen Nader, and then they trade um, uh, Billy Paltz, and they get Rich Jones, Kim Hughes, and two other players. Um, the Spurs definitely got the better of the trades in the long term, although Jones was very important to the Nets winning the title. Um, Nader got hurt that year and was traded to Virginia for Jim Eakins, who was also helpful in 76. So um, the, the, this that really helped the Spurs, you know, form the um, you know, the basis of their very good teams in the late 80s and excuse me, the late 70s and a little bit into the 80s. But did I doubt the Nets entirely regret the trade because obviously they won a championship and, you know, you, you you know, losing Irving after the season, you know, even even if they had other players, losing losing Irving was going to make them a not a very good team. So either way, they're going to be in a similar position. And uh, you know, James Salas missed, missed the playoffs in his prime as well. So uh, his his battles with injuries probably prevented the, the George Gervin Spurs, meanwhile, from ever winning a title. And so at least the Nets have these two titles to their name, but. Uh, I don't know. Si- Silas uh, was in his prime, and this would have been a, a year as good as any for the Spurs to to uh, achieve at least one opportunity to to win it all. And that seven game series, and, and I, I'm sure we'll touch on it uh, just in a second. That seven series might have gone the other way if, if Silas was there. So at le- at least they got the best out of the Julius experience while he was there. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. And, and and Jones and Eakins kind of made the more rugged team. They also. Uh, preserved uh, Irving down the stretch, even rested him some in fourth quarters, which he was very much against, but uh, but, but Lockery insisted, and he eventually agreed. Um, as you mentioned, they, they played the Spurs in the uh, semifinals. Uh, the Spurs uh, have, you know, Gervin, Keenan, Paulton, Gale, all had played with with Irving, and Silas was their other uh, main player, but he was limited to one game because of injury. Um 
game one, Irving uh, plays thirty, or he, excuse me, Irving scores thirty-one points and and has eight rebounds. So the um, the Nets win one sixteen one hundred one pretty easily. Gervin had twenty points in that game, um, and uh, and Silas is suffers a right ankle injury that ends his season. Um, game two, the 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 Spurs win in a blowout in New York one hundred five seventy nine. Uh, Keenan has uh, thirty points and ten rebounds. Uh, Gervin is twenty two and thirteen. Irving had 27 points and seven rebounds um, and uh, and talked about how the team felt flat and really uh, just were, you know, upset that they didn't play with more intensity. Uh, game three, um, the Spurs won, although Irving had 31 points during that time, 10 rebounds, eight assists as well. Uh, Keenan, again, had a great game, 28 points and 16 rebounds. He really had a very strong, um, um, a strong series here. Um and Gail had twenty two a career high twenty two points and eleven assists and and felt very satisfied for um you know being able to beat his old team. That was definitely motivation here for the players to uh you know play against their old, you know, either whether it was the organizations or the um old teammates, but it very much was a part of this series for sure. Yeah, and um, at, at this point, it's it's almost confusing with the way that there are only seven teams who finished this season, and they trade with another just like every summer. So the the supporting casts are are almost too tough to grasp uh, with Julius playing with with Jimmy Eakins the second time, but. Uh, then you then you realize that Jimmy Eakins was his teammate in Virginia, so it's not totally the same. So, yeah, I, I might imagine that when you when you face these guys so m- many times during the year, because obviously there aren't as many teams to have on your schedule during the eighty two the, the eighty two or eighty four games, and then you go through a, a playoff series, it, it must it must get uh, personal at at some point, and you you really you really get your competitive juices flowing when uh, you you're playing with these guys over and over and over again. Absolutely. Um, so game four, Irving has thirty five points and fourteen rebounds. And they um, they even the series uh, with a 110-108 win. Uh, he had the game-winning dunk among his 11 fourth-quarter points. And Williamson had 31 points, including 20 in the second half. Uh, and during this game, there is a, a, a pretty famous fight. Um, and um, it's between uh, Brian Taylor and George Carl, of course, the future um, NBA coach who was a, a spur at the time. And... Um, both benches cleared. Uh, ended up. Uh, David Busher was now the commissioner. Um, fined fourteen players, uh, and um, apparently Irving and Keenan were not fined. Um, and uh, but Taylor, Carl, Jones, Williamson, Gervin, and Paul all were uh, fined uh, during the game. Uh, I, I believe AB or uh, I believe loose balls indicates that um, Irving did get into part of the fight, although um, he doesn't mention it in his book, so uh, it's hard to say, of course, exactly uh, what happened. I, I don't think there's any any video of the game, but um, uh, but yes, it, it that, that was the most intense that this um, game went. But it, it, I think it was a you know it was a bench clearing. Uh, brawl that took several minutes to restore so even by aba fight standards it was pretty intense and in a way it's it's almost surprising that the busher is laying the hammer down and uh, finding all these players it's it's almost uh, uh unbelievable for that time, uh, point in time so so it must have been a, a huge brawl if, if he had to find so many players yes exactly um game five um the nets win again uh 110 to um to, to 108 um 
I guess they had hey, back-to-back games of 110 to 108. I just noticed that. And yeah. uh, a lot of wrinkles. In two days as well. Yes, a lot of close margins in this. And um, so um, the um, uh, and Irving had 32 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Um, Gale had 20 points in the series. He had a very good series as well. Um, his, his scoring high and what would have been obviously close to his scoring high. And... Um, the uh, Irving actually was able to uh, block uh, Gale's uh, shot away to uh, to seal the game, and he said, "I don't know how high I got, but it was high enough. I hit the ball with a full hand, just smash it back to the floor. It felt good." And Gale said, "I thought I had it. Looked good all the way. It seemed like it had eyes, and then he came out of nowhere. So just uh, uh, an- another ama- amazing play by Irving to uh, help uh, seal things up." Game six, the Spurs won 106-105 despite Irving having 41 points and 12 rebounds, including 31 second-half points. Um, and uh, However, he did miss two free throws uh, with uh, about uh, two minutes left in the fourth quarter. He did have a, a, a jumper that put them up 1-3, 1-2, but um, Gervin had 37 points, and um, Gale and Paltz and Keenan all scored uh, 19 points or more, and Keenan had... Um, two game-winning free throws with three seconds left to uh, play in the game. And this is sort of an interesting situation with Rich Jones where he did not dress for the game and show up for the arena. Lockery said he did not play due to mental distress. And there were rumors that authorities were after him in connection with unspecified financial problems back to when Jones played for the Spurs. So uh, apparently they decided that it would be best if he laid low during the game, which uh, very much an, very much an ABA thing to uh, happen uh, that he would uh, uh, be missing due to these circumstances. Yeah, and when I read over that, it seemed, it seemed even a bit grim, even for ABA standards, for for him to miss an important playoff game just just due to that. And thankfully, as we know, he ended up being being the the winner in in this transaction. But yeah, that that was I, I had forgotten about that detail, and it was weird to read about that. And then Game Seven, Jones came comes back, and uh, and in the Nets in New York, the Nets win one twenty one to one fourteen. Gervin has thirty one points, Irving has twenty eight points, eighteen rebounds, and eight assists, and um, and Taylor helped uh, Kia a big stretch with nine points in in less than three minutes, um, and the and the Nets are able to make it again to the ABA finals by um, through this victory they actually draw well for for practically the first time even though they're in you know the New York area they're rarely drawing good crowds but they had a standing room only crowd and another another thousand people were turned away so they even struggled to attract fans even after winning in 74 so the fact that they were able to do that was uh, you know a, a little bit too little too late unfortunately for them but uh, you know a, a sign of the potential nonetheless yeah, and and then it seems like uh, the matchup between Irving and Gervin was the was the one with, which decided the series with Irving averaging five point more points per game, and I assume that when when two such even uh, even teams uh, match up against each other, it's it's the superstars who have to take take charge and uh, be the best players in the series, and uh, uh, seemingly Irving was the one who who did that uh, and uh, which propelled New York to to win in seven games and uh, land them spot in the finals. Yeah, and uh, they they land in a spot against uh, the Denver Nuggets, who um, had who were sixteen twenty four during the season with a five point. A four or five SRS had, had been really the dominant team, honestly dominant regular season team for the last couple of years. Um, 
but and uh, they had they had fell short the year before, but made the finals this year. They had David Thompson, who was a rookie, and uh, Dan Isla, who had come over from Kentucky and been a great star there. They also had Ralph Simpson, uh, Bobby Jones, who of course would later be Dr. J's teammates on the uh, Sixers, uh, Chuck Williams, and uh, Byron Beck, who was. Uh, had played from for the uh, Denver franchise from its beginning in the uh, first year of the uh, ABA, so a, a good rebounder, defensive player as well. Um, and they and were the human racer Marvin Webster, also a, a magnificent ABA nickname. That, that's right. Yes, the the human racer as well. Yes, he he was a rookie uh, during that season. He he didn't have really a, a huge role on that team. Although he did stand out at least in um, in game one of the series. But yeah, the 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 Nuggets were the favorites, um, but. You know, as you talked about, kind of the situation where the the superstars decided, and Irving just has a uh, a finals for the ages in this uh, series, as we'll as we'll as we'll go through a little bit. But um, in fact, game one starts off with 45 points, 12 rebounds, and four assists, and hits a game winning jumper from the baseline for a 120 118 win in Denver. He scored 18 of the Nets' final 22 points. Um, and uh, Bobby Jones defending him throughout most of the game and said he said it's tough to defend him now knowing he's always going to going to the hoop but never knowing how and um, Thompson had 30 points in the game so so played pretty well and Marvin Webster as we mentioned had 14 points and 18 rebounds uh, in the uh, in that game yeah Bobby Jones uh, for as good as a defender he was he he must have been happy that for the for the longest period of his career he got to play alongside Julius because he really he really to, had to face uh, some some high scoring games from Irving in this series as it as it went on and i must imagine that it uh, it was frustrating for him for, for to go up against a, a player and just not not be able to do anything about it because uh, throughout his career he mostly he mostly was a player who could stand his own against superstars and uh, somewhat limit them uh, in regards to their scoring and uh, for game two, the Nuggets won 127-121, but, uh, but Irving had, he had 48 points, 14 rebounds, and 8 assists. In the fourth quarter, he had 25 points, which broke a, um, a, a, a pro basketball finals record by Joe Folks for points in one quarter. This, that is from uh, the 22nd Timeout website that you uh, mentioned. David Friedman, the writer there, he um, unearthed that nugget, which was uh, uh, pretty cool. Unfortunately, the Nets did shot poorly out, other than Irving um, playing well. Um, and uh, the Nuggets really had a balanced scoring of uh, 25 points from Ralph Simpson and 24 points each from Thompson, Jones, and Issel. Uh, game three in New York, the the, the Nets won. Uh, Irving had 31 points, uh, 10 rebounds, and four block shots, and scored uh, eight points and blocked two shots in the uh, final two minutes. And had a um, in the last 31 seconds of the game, he had a reverse layup, made two free throws, and had a uh, coast to ghost drive punctuated with a reverse dunk. So. Um, pretty much uh, did everything uh, during that game. Bobby Jones described that he came out of nowhere to get those late block shots. And New York Times writer Dave Anderson wrote that that he, Dr. J, was the best basketball player in captivity, perhaps in history. Uh, the NBA can't call itself the best best basketball league until it features the best basketball player. The NBA without Dr. J is like boxing without Muhammad Ali, football without O.J. Simpson, and baseball without Tom Seaver. So. Obviously, uh, getting attention there. And speaking of getting attention, Game Four, uh, the uh, Howard Cosell and ABC's Wild World of Sports would uh, show up for uh, Game Four as Irving would. Uh, he had 34 points, 15 rebounds, and six assists as the Nets took a, a 3-1 uh, series lead. 
and um, had a just a, another uh, tremendous game. And obviously the uh, uh, the the Nets are sitting pretty in this uh, game um, with the uh, with the three one lead. And uh, uh, about about the quote you mentioned previously, it's it's it comes as no surprise that the merger had happened this year because uh, with with the performances Julius is putting up in in these playoffs, completely dominating, uh, they just had to have a player like that in their own league because uh, as we all know, the NBA wasn't doing all that well in 1976 either. So yeah, the, the merger was really uh, something that uh, both leagues quite needed at at this point with the ABA struggling with with their own finances and uh denver won game five in um in denver uh they had a very very balanced scoring and um they out rebounded the nets 51 to 2 uh, 32 uh, irving did again 37 points 15 rebounds and five assists um but the other nets do, don't really don't really do much uh outside of irving uh, game six, uh, the Nuggets are in very strong position. They're up 80 to 58 uh, midway through the third quarter. Looks like they're going to win in New York and send the game back to Denver for a uh, game seven. And Denver had just an incredible record in the previous uh, two seasons at home. Um, game going back to Denver was bad news for the Nets, but the Nets turn it around. Um, one of the great comebacks in uh, in basketball history, and you know, in, in hardly can think of a bigger situ- situation than this. But Irving, he had five steals in the final 17 minutes. The Nets outscored the Nuggets 54 to 26. Um, also, uh, Super John Williamson at 24 points in the second half. Irving, 31 points, 19 rebounds, five assists. And Denver had just four field goals in the final 12 minutes. And um, they use decided to use a pressing defense, which sort of changes the tenor of the game and. You know, Lottery talked about how, you know, they realized that they couldn't use it all the time, but they, you know, they brought it out just when they need it. And even though David Thompson had 42 points uh, and Issel had 30 points and 20 rebounds, uh, you know, it was obviously Irving series. As Larry Brown, the Denver coach, said, you can't tell me there's a more courageous club than the Nets. You can't tell me there's a greater player than Julius Irving. And just uh, incredible performance from the uh Nets and you know, Irving, one of the great finals of all time, one of only two players in pro basketball history to lead both teams in scoring rebounding assist steals and block shots in one playoff series and the other uh most people probably know is lebron james in the 2016 finals so yeah just a wonderful performance from him yeah it, it was just a, a complete breakdown by by the nuggets and when you look at the, the sidelines of david thompson and dan Issel and the way they both shot the ball uh, david thompson was 16 for 23 Issel was 14 for 25 it's it's almost unreal that they even even lost this game. They sh- certainly could have forced Game Seven. And uh, for for the audience members out there uh, interested in uh, in footage of any of this, I I believe this is one of the best covered games we we have of of the ABA. I, I'm I'm certain that there that there was a made for TV documentary titled "The Last Day of the ABA" or, or something along those lines, which featured this, the storylines of Denver's coaches. Uh, uh, of course, Larry Brown and, and Doug Moe, as as well as some stuff on Julius, and uh, there's there's a lot of footage of uh, of this last game as well. So that's that's definitely something you can uh, you can find on on the internet. I, I'm not certain if it's on YouTube, uh, as uh, as well as uh, I can shamefully plug, shamelessly plug that uh, uh, there are, I have made highlights of uh, Julius's and David Thompson's 
performances in this game, so you can also look that up. Lamar Matic, uh, Lamar is in Lamar Odom, and Matic is in M-A-T-I-C. But yeah, a, a quick search of uh, Julius Irving, uh, 1976, or David Thompson, 1976, should should do the trick for for these particular clips. Yes, and and I can say you, your YouTube has a lot of uh, you just wonderful classic um, NBA and ABA uh, basketball from you know the 70s and 80s and beyond. So some uh, some some really great stuff there. Um, anything else about uh, Dr. J's uh, time in the ABA that we should uh, talk about before we go? Well, the, the overall feel I feel I get is that uh, it, it's 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 uh, in a way it, the environment with, without any t- televised games even for that time it's it's not like that the footage is, is magically lost and the the people back then were able to watch it. No, it's uh, NBA NBA executives and and coaches. Uh, you, you get a feel that they also didn't really know what to, what to expect from julius and uh it's it's created kind of this interesting environment in late in the late 70s because when irving uh struggled in, in initially in, in some certain seasons there was this barrage of articles uh describing the the problems he was having and that he's not he's not really this this superstar we expected him to be so in, in a way it's it sort of mirrors the situations with, which happen today with play, players just like LeBron, who have this big pressure put on them because of social media and then the sports coverage which we have nowadays, and in a way, the, the opposite happened with Julius. There wasn't enough coverage of him, so he came into in the, into the NBA as this as this big unknown, and he he got crushed probably more than he should have, and his, his uh, latter part of the, of the career thus uh, had many interesting storylines, which might have been been true or not, but. In the end, I'm happy for him that he got the title in '83. So, I think it's all worked out for the best. Yeah, absolutely. And I have another episode coming with uh, Curtis Harris, where we're going to talk about uh, his uh, time um, in the late '70s and early Phillies, or excuse me, <laughs> his time in the late '70s and um, early '80s with the uh, 76ers, and, and you know, kind of. Uh, the expectations of him coming into the NBA and how he delivered on and, and how he changed during that time and how the league changed during that time. So hopefully people will enjoy that as well. Um, but, uh, but Brainus, thank you so much for uh, joining me. I really uh, appreciate it. Um, and you have a great uh, podcast on NBA history as well. Can you uh, tell our listeners about it? Yeah, def- definitely. Thanks for for the opportunity. The the listeners can uh, look up the handle podcast. It's it's on iTunes. It's on uh, Stitcher, uh, as well as they can just uh, log on on lamarmatic.com to find the show notes for the podcast episodes, or, or just follow me on Twitter at lamarmatic. And uh, yeah, the 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 channel you mentioned beforehand is pr- it's probably the it's probably which I consider my best work because it's it's a medium where I have more more I have more, had more success in. So if uh, as as you already alluded to, if 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 any of the audience is looking for some highlights from the 80s or 90s you can definitely find me on there so yeah there, there it's not like i have some one specific thing to plug but those are the many mediums where listeners can find me well uh thanks everyone for uh, checking us out uh you can find us at harborparoxysm.com and uh, we are on uh, itunes and stitcher and wherever you uh, listen to your uh, podcast it probably will be there so uh just uh, find us there uh, give us a rating and review if you uh, like what we're doing and um also we're on twitter and facebook at over and back nba so uh thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon 
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.